Thanks for listening to the show. Join us online at playvolutionhq.com and learn how to support the show at explorationsearlylearning.com slash support. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that early childhood nerd podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hello and welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt and I've got David Kahn with me again today. Hello everybody. <laughs> We're ready to go. We've been talking about today's topic for like a month probably. Yeah. <laughs> recording about this. So we're finally getting it done. Um, so in another episode that David and I did, we talked about, or we kind of threw back to an episode that Travis and I had done a couple months ago about professionalism, and it really turned into a discussion of unions. And um, and so David said that he had some other thoughts on it. And I said, well, let's talk about them then, because <laughs> there's a lot of directions we could go. So I'm going to do the quote, David, and then we'll jump in. Let's do, it. do you want to say anything about yourself? I think no, people know let's, who you are. Okay. let's get into it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so first of all, I want to say before I read the quote that when Travis and I did that episode, and even on my Facebook page, I miscited the the quote. I said it came from the a wrong, the wrong book. So I said it came from Defining Early Childhood for a New Era, Leading for Our Profession by Stacey Goffin. It's actually coming from Theories of Practice by Carol Garhart Mooney. And I think probably both we could just go on about this book forever. So maybe there'll be more episodes coming from this one. But the you, quote, you, call yourself, you call yourself a nerd. I know. It was so embarrassing <laughs> to have to admit yeah. that I that I miscited um, <laughs> that piece. But uh, I, I probably could have. I'm sure neither author is listening. I probably could have gotten away with just keeping it <laughs> under wraps. But in the interest of transparency, we'll say. Okay, so here's the quote. Nerd shaming. I can't believe it. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Okay. Too many ECE workers calling themselves professionals rail against increased standards in professional development. This needs to change. When providers struggle with low pay, few benefits, and little job prestige, yet resist the kind of activity that has moved other workers, nurses, for instance, from the world of paraprofessionals to the world of adequate pay, benefits, and job satisfaction, they're holding the entire field back. So I added a little bit on to the beginning from the last quote. Um, so so when Travis and I talked about this, like I said, we really focused on unionizing because that comes up in conversation a lot of times sure. on this topic. But um, I feel like we can talk more about that increased standards and professional development piece. Absolutely. Um, and I know you, you had some thoughts specifically about professionalism, and, and I think a lot of people listening probably know I can rant and rave about that. Yeah, well, <laughs> as well, long as um, go. Sorry, sorry. No, go ahead. Well, absolutely. Um, I've, I've worked in child care for about 10 years now, and for the vast majority of it, I really didn't like the term professionalization. Mm-hmm. And I was like, let's, let's just have the relationships with the kids, et cetera, et cetera. But after I read Mooney's book, <laughs> she, argues, she argues very convincingly for it should be professionalized. Like, And it, there's a serious knowledge base. Mm-hmm. There's um, there should be serious standards. It's it's, it's serious work we do, and mm-hmm. I guess the only thing I would add to the term profession, professionalization is that uh, us educators should have a sense of what that looks like. I don't think it should come from the top down. 
Right. And, and to have professional expectations of such a low paid workforce. Like, like if you want us to be professionals, there's also professional working conditions uh-huh. and we should have a say in what that means. Yeah. And, yeah. And of course, like this topic goes into unions a lot and I, I'm no fan of big unions like the SEIU, but I don't think we should shy away from the fact that we're people in a, in a, a field who do important work and we should have a say in how it's done. Right. And, um, and if that involves some sort of workplace type stuff, that's fine. But I think we could have a uh, a bigger imagination than just joining a big crappy union. I think that can mean lots of things if mm-hmm. we put our minds to it. Yeah. Well, I think you you hit on something important when you talk about whether it comes top down or whether it's sort of field driven, um, mm-hmm. because I think that's part of the problem with both increasing standards and setting uh, standards for qualifications for professional development, what what that means and what qualifications should have which positions or whatever. Um, if we, who are doing the work in the field, you know, on the ground, whatever you want mm-hmm. to call it, direct care, are unhappy with the standards that are coming down to us or the qualifications people are putting on our field, then what are we doing about it? Yeah. Are are we making our voices louder? Are we um, just ignoring it and maybe uh, compromising the care that children receive then because because we're ignoring standards just on principle? Um, yeah. That that's really concerning to me too. If if you don't like it, what are we doing? What are you doing? That that's where I am at lately entirely. And yeah. I know that's not an easy thing to do. Like you and I no. were just talking before we started recording about um, you know both of our our work and and where things were going and it was mostly on my part at least complaining so so what am i doing what am i gonna do then you know am i gonna just cave because it's easier or am i gonna continue to fight against this garbage that's coming yeah top down and yeah i don't know what the answer is either but i think just being truthful about it and talking amongst ourselves like there's no harm in saying the truth about something yeah. And and this ties into the episode with Travis. Like he said, one thing I very much agreed with, that there's no point in organizing or unionizing or demanding more money if there's no money there. And there's another quote from the Mooney book uh-huh. that I thought was good. She says, there really is no excuse for knowing for not knowing best practices. And of course, that's true. But th- in a way, this is kind of a moral thing. Uh-huh. Like we have a talent pool shaped by this low paid job market. And, like, obviously, there's some people who just aren't going to care. So we can say, there's no excuse for you to not know this stuff. But it's, like, bigger than any individual practitioner's opinions about what good practice is. Does that make sense? It does. I I think about when I was a center director most recent, you know, my most recent experience with that, which was, you know, seven, six or seven years ago. Um, Well, so I want to go back even further when we're yeah. talking about professionalism and qualifications, I've, I've done some flip-flopping on that because I started working in childcare quite accidentally um, with the thought that, oh, I you know used to help in Sunday school and I used to babysit when I was in high school and I was good with kids, so I can do this mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sort of evolving into seeing, oh, wait, there's a lot more to this job than just being a babysitter. Yeah. And... Um, but I did not have the opportunity, I did not make the opportunity, however you want to look at that, to pursue a degree, a formal degree, until, 
you know, a year ago I graduated with my bachelor's. Um, so, so I used to really bristle at the idea that we need to have these standards and people need to have degrees because I'd been doing the work quite well Mm -hmm. without that. And I had just on my own been reading and reflecting and processing and trying things I'd, you know, so I, so I, I was educating myself. It just wasn't formally, um, and then I, you know, had the opportunity to do to do those things. But as I was hiring, it was really hard because the center I was the director for was accredited yep. through NACI. And so there were some standards that I needed to try to meet. Um, but it was hard finding qualified people of course. Who, who had that paper qualification, but also had the skill and the disposition to be a good early childhood teacher because they don't always go hand in hand. No. Um, so I, I find myself really thinking that, okay, yeah, there's specialized knowledge that you need to do the job well. We really do need to have a good grasp of child development and um, what it looks like in real life. But there needs to be alternative pathways. It can't just be an associate's degree for this, a bachelor's degree for this, because we're going to lose good people Yeah, if we do it's... it that way. And the degree doesn't always guarantee... You know, honestly, my best teachers were those who started with no degree and then started to pursue, uh, started yeah. to, to do that. And the ones who came in with a degree already were more difficult for me for some reason. Uh, well, uh, well, that brings up a, a lot of training is um, leaves a lot to be desired. Like yeah. there's some excellent training programs, but yeah, like, yeah, I'm sure it's not a surprise to anybody listening that a lot of <laughs> training programs aren't that. Yeah. But again, it just comes back to money. Like when Travis said, um, if the money's not there, what are, what are we striking for or protesting for or anything? But, um, as long until we figure out a way to get the money there, Mm -hmm. like we're going to keep facing these talent pool problems. And, and, and I guess what, I guess when I say we need more imagination about what we could do as professionals is just the way like public school is funded. Mm-hmm. Like we we should I mean care of young children shouldn't be a private commodity or a subsidized commodity. It's like a societal responsibility. Right. Yeah. And, there's a there's a book yeah. called The Tragedy of Childcare in America. Yeah. Um, I can't remember who wrote it. Um, I'm not going to try since you've already shamed me once for being wrong <laughs> about the author. Um, but anyway, it it really talks about the the journey the United States was on in the late 60s, early 70s, yeah. and almost got childcare right. And then, you know, this conservative faction came in and scared everybody about socialism and people taking over your children and yeah. coming into your homes and judging your parenting, which isn't what it was about at all. Yeah. Um, and it makes a really compelling case for there's also a documentary series. And the first episode is called Raising of America, maybe. And it covers that <laughs> same process. And sometimes you can watch it for free. But yeah. anyway, um, there's a compelling case for some sort of, and I'll say socialization, but I know that word yeah. will turn some people off right away, uh, of this process of early childhood um, education and um, or early care and education, I, I sort of prefer to say. Um, but giving over control of anything to the government is a scary process. Sure, they don't. They don't oh, uh, yes, because yes. Because again, I, I don't, they're not I, always experts. So yeah. So while I agree that it's a social issue and we need to take a 
sort of collective responsibility for it, whether you have young children or not, it affects our world. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to come, it almost has to come bottom up and that's so hard. Yeah. We, we have to I make sure that... that we're being noisy about being included. Yeah, absolutely. Like it really, it, this feels so pie in the sky to talk about, but I think <laughs> about, but I, I, I think about the fact that at one point in the U S it was like up for debate. Do women have the physical or mental capabilities to vote uh-huh. or, or it was up for debate about slavery and yeah. like, and or abortion and like all these things that there was movements about uh-huh. like at one point that was just considered ridiculous. Like, why would you even bring this up? Uh-huh. And I, and I agree the government does not always handle our money well, <laughs> but like, I feel like some people need to dream big about this stuff. Absolutely. And if we're going to have an economy where people need to, both parents need to work or whatever, like, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it brings up so many things, but if, right. if this is the state of our economy and everybody, both parents need to work, we should be having high quality care and education right. for young children. Right. And, I, I just yeah. think whenever we get into a position where we're saying, um, we're going to make young children pay, for lack of a better word, for the decisions their parents are making, whether they need to make that decision or just have made that decision, then we're on shaky ground. Like it. What do you mean? So like if we say, um, so, so, so where I was, where my mind went when you said, if we're in this economy that both parents need to work, my mind goes to, well, what if I just want to work? You know, yeah, what, if, what, if, what if I'm just a better mom and a more fulfilled human being if I'm working? And sure. so then the response from a lot of folks would be, well, that's your choice then. And I shouldn't have to pay for your child to be in a high quality program because that's your choice. Well, then what you're yeah. saying is you as a, you know, not you, but what that person is saying to me is as a mother, you're making a bad choice and I'm not going to help your child. Yes. So the, the reality is the children are out there. They're in these yes. programs, yes. and um, if if we're going to sit in moral judgment about whether they should be or not, that's a mistake. So they're there. What do these children deserve, regardless of what I think about their parents' choices? Absolutely. Does that make more sense? No, it does. And I and I, I absolutely, if any, I think every family and every parent and mother or father or anybody, if they want to be at work, there should be a if it was just universal high quality good, safe places, place for their kids yeah it it that, yeah it should that should be an option i'm not of course not yeah. trying to advocate that <laughs> no, i answer think you were going back home i didn't think you were that's yeah, just yeah, where my yeah. mind went yeah yeah of course and um oh yeah just yeah so i i guess like when travis talked about unions and everything the traditional thing is you demand more money from your employer. Uh-huh. But in this case, that's obviously not going to work. But I think we need to, like, or talk with family. Like, this is something that goes across, like, any one workplace or any one industry. This is a societal thing. Uh-huh. Like, and, and we, have, we have, like, these decades of research of what we know about what good quality care and education does. Mm-hmm. Like, we could do this with parents. We can do this with coworkers. It's not staff against a center director it's we need to have a cultural change in how we view this stuff and it should be it's it's not a the way i think about it is it's not a private commodity and children and all and people can call me a socialist but i don't think children are the private property 
of their parents. They're uh-huh. they're like members of society. Right. Right. And we need to look at them like that and not like the burden and proper personal burden and private property of their parents. Yeah. I even get that way when people in our field are advocating for our field and to do that they talk about the benefits you all will get from these children getting high quality care like they'll grow up to be more productive members of society they'll have better jobs it's good for the economy i get that and that i'm not saying we shouldn't use that argument but again my mind then goes to but what about their quality of life right now and what they just deserve right now because they're human beings (laughs) totally totally so there's i don't know it's it's i could go on and on and on (laughs) and totally and and another side of this is is while we're having this pie in the sky wish yeah. list is like increased maternity leave, increased paternity leave yeah. and supporting families to understand child development themselves. Mm-hmm. And I like when I still lived in the U S like there's, I think a lot of very patronizing parenting classes. Oh my gosh. Yes. And, and I agree. There's a lot of people who are saying we don't need parenting classes. We need child development classes. And most most regular people would take the right information from that when they once they learn that stuff. Uh-huh. I and, I yeah. always say, and I'm, so I always say not to read parenting books, read child development books because Absolutely. I think most parenting books are about winning the battle or tricking yeah. your children into doing. You know, it's not just understanding your child, and I think that's so much more effective if you just understand yeah. your child. Um. So, oh, what was I going to say? It's gone, whatever it was. Um, so I want to pull it back to the quote for just a second because sure. I don't mind doing pie in the sky and we'll get back to it, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I do think that we have to dream big and we can't say, oh, because it's not all immediately achievable, we shouldn't dream. And, yeah. we, and we shouldn't say what the ideal is. Um, but uh, it does seem frustrating sometimes when you talk about the ideal because you can't get to it immediately. Um, the other, the other thing that, that Mooney talks about in this little section that we're, that we're looking at, that we pulled the quote from is, um, the acceptance of conventional wisdom in our work with young children and how that affects, um, us as professionals and the way people see our job, because we do tend to, to see in the field people who think, well, I'm a woman, of course I can take care of children. I raised children. Of course, I can take care of children in this group setting. Or, you know, I babysat in high school, and um, and I think that's damaging when we when we allow that to go unquestioned. Totally agree. Um, I think. But, sorry, but, I think. No, go oh, ahead. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm not sure I was going anywhere. I think my brain, was, okay. my mouth was just still running. So go ahead. <laughs> sorry. Um, the, um. Yeah, like I, I, I tell this to people all the time. Like, I honestly, I probably should have never been hired. <laughs> yeah, you have said that uh, before, yeah. Yeah, you're like, I really shouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I guess due to these podcasts and like stuff online, like I've somehow gotten to a place where I think I'm pretty decent and reflective. Uh-huh. But yeah, I think, yeah, we all come in with our own idea of common sense about what it takes to take care of children. Uh-huh. But I think every educator needs to get beyond it. Because there's a whole world out there yeah. that, and a whole field of knowledge that you do need to understand and you do need to incorporate. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, but of, of course, like until that money is there, like we're going to keep just having people coming in with, 
not always great ideas about stuff and yeah. and and centers with people with there's like your center now there's you and then other people and i imagine a lot of people think like who is this woman what is she talking about <laughs> yeah and it's just this mishmash of different st- there's no like common staff right approach yeah because you picky because there's no money there <laughs> yeah i do think that when we're talking about um professional development and job qualification whatever it makes more sense to me to focus on what once they're already in the workforce how do we develop them in this way to move yeah. them from the conventional wisdom to child development because people come in yeah. with various varying levels um in the book training teachers by margie carter and deb curtis i can get that one right because they're my favorites um <laughs> and that book was life-changing for me but they talk about nine core dispositions of master teachers and um so i if you've got that book anyone listening I, you should look at that i'm not going to go into all nine of them now um but I re- so I remember a conversation with one of my teachers when I was a director, and at the time that her she was a lead teacher in a four and five year old room, and she had an assistant teacher, um, the lead teacher. I'm just going to use her name. I don't know if she didn't care. So Kayla was the lead teacher. She um, she didn't have children at the time. Her assistant teacher did, and we were talking, and she said something like, "Well, she's got that mom experience, so I feel like I need to." sort of back away sometimes. Yeah. And and so I was asking her to tell me what that meant and and it came out in the conversation that she thought, you know, being a mom was different than being an early childhood teacher. And it is. But mm-hmm. where I'm going with this is, you know, what I what I ended up saying and asking her to think about was if we know this is child what child development teaches us. You know, this is what we know about how children are developing at that age. Why would we approach that child any differently because we're their mom or their early childhood teacher? Like once you've got that knowledge, your approach should just sort of be consistent. Yeah. Um, and and so it, it just was sort of eye-opening to me that someone who was in the field as a professional felt intimidated because she wasn't a mom herself and now this mom was in her classroom. Yeah. When we're not, we don't automatic, I mean, I've, I'm a mom. I didn't automatically get you know, every piece of knowledge I needed to know about children just because I gave birth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a magic. Um, uh, and, comes down on you. Yeah, and had, you know, a pretty not very great mom myself, so she certainly didn't get all that knowledge when, when she gave birth to us. So yeah. that idea that because we're moms, we can do the work uh, well, it's, is, it's, is it's quite harmful. What? It's, it's the, yeah, it's that idea that, yeah, w- women are naturally good at this. Yeah. There's like a whole sacred nurturing realm that like yeah. this, this stuff resides in. And that's why we don't have to pay them much because they're disposed to it. Oh, yeah. And it's it's just all these very outdated. There's all this cultural baggage like is yeah. like weighing us all down. Yeah, I'm writing a note. Sorry. Okay. I want to make sure I get back to something. So, um we keep coming back to the idea of this cultural reality that yeah. I think is sort of, is probably why we think it's too pie in the sky because we've got all this cultural reality that we would need to change first. But I think it can be done. Like you're talking about women so. getting votes and the civil rights yeah. movement and stuff. Um, not that the civil rights movement is, has achieved everything it needs to achieve. You know, that we still have a long way to go before we're really being, um, being equal and fair and all that stuff. But, um, 
I'm sure that that they all thought the cultural reality was was too big to fight, but they well, felt they needed I, to do the fight anyway. Yeah, well, I, I've read some about the so this is a small tangent, mm-hmm. but what I've read a fair amount about the civil rights movement. Yeah, and when people in the student nonviolent coordinating committee went door knocking in diff- in small rural black towns to get black people to register to vote. Uh-huh. And this was like predominantly black, uh, black people doing this. Uh-huh. They had so many people going, like putting uh, their stories of like them getting guns in their faces oh, to say, okay. Hey, we don't want trouble around here. Yeah. Don't, don't come being a rabble rouser, but they did it anyways. And uh-huh. I just think about all the stuff people have done for, bigger ideals yeah and I, it, so it, yes it's pie in the sky and insurmountable but in a way i feel like we don't have a right to say like well then oh, we, we won't do anything yeah right. that's so, such a good way to think about it we don't have the right to not do something once we, yeah once to despair sort of, about it yeah and like and it's natural to despair and it does and so there's some days i'm just like what the hell is going on etc yeah. but there's no harm in saying the truth about things right and and, and, and I guess, oh, sorry. We can one connect thing, now in a bigger way with other yeah. people who think the same way, you know, social media yeah. or whatever. So we aren't, we don't have to feel as isolated as we might otherwise feel yeah. in that despair. <laughs> well, the, the only reason I think I'm a, a decent at this now is because of running into people online and like, like really like I, I don't even know what I would still be doing I'd probably be working in restaurants now <laughs> because I'd just be tired of being a classroom cop and et cetera. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, one, one thing I'm, one of my hopes for next year is I'm going to work with some, I live in England at the moment and in, in Leeds mm-hmm. and I'm going to help some other people put on a conference and I don't know what it's going to look like, but I really want to have the aim of the conference be more than just come here. Some people talk and go home. Uh-huh. Like, Really, if we can like get people's contact information, mm-hmm. get and like get people connected afterwards, if that's mm-hmm. the aim of the conference, like we right. can start building relationships between settings. Yeah, and we talk more. Yeah. You should check out. It's another Margie Carter Deb Curtis book, "Reflecting in Communities of Practice." Yeah, okay, it would be a good resource for that. I'll just throw yeah. that pitch out there. Absolutely, um, I will. So, but this, and that, that sort of feeds into, I can't remember the quote exactly, but it's Margaret Mead and you've probably heard it, but it's like, yeah. you know, don't despair that a small group can't make a difference. A small group yeah. of, you know, committed people, you know, indeed that's all that's ever changed the world or something like that. It's heavily paraphrased, but, um, yeah. so, so we may feel sort of isolated, you know, I'm certainly feeling that way now in Lafayette, Indiana, um, yeah. doing, doing you know trying to fit in a system that i don't particularly fit in and all that kind of stuff um it would be really easy to think well i can't make a difference but i i've connected with other people and we're all over the world making these little you know chipping away at the system and making the little impact that we can yeah um it's got to make a difference yeah i think absolutely and um yeah (laughs) i I, I don't know where i'm going from there yeah it's um yeah and and you and who knows like i think there's something about when you if you take some outward action or take that like jeff johnson says do the damn scary thing <laughs> like there might be other people in lafayette who have like are jaded and burnt yeah. out and feel similar to you yeah they're i don't know but yeah, like and, i'm but, sure 
Once once somebody gets a ball a little bit rolling, it attracts more people. Right. If if someone else takes that sc- scary first step, it's easier yeah. for others to jump in. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I mostly want to punch Jeff in the nose when he says do the scary thing. But then I end up like, oh, yeah, he's really wise. That was a great idea. <laughs> yeah. And, and I guess it's out there now. And he's going to know I think that. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but that's it's hard to do. But yeah. you're right. Once you do it. Other people might say, oh, someone else thinks that way or someone else feels that way or totally um, the ball's already rolling. I can jump in and keep it going. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah, that's hopeful. <laughs> and, and there's small things we can do, like in our own workplaces, like I've um, I sufficiently nagged the head of my school and the <laughs> children's center for an extra hour on my contract uh-huh. every week because uh-huh. I I just didn't have enough time to do the observations uh-huh. and I, and I almost got an extra hour for my coworker, but it didn't work with her schedule. Like right. she didn't want it. But, um, so I could, I, I, and I got that so I could have actually be with the kids and have an extra 15 minutes at the end to do the damn observations. Uh-huh. Yeah. And yeah, my yeah, director was like that. My director brought in my lesson plan. So I'm, I have, I have a co-teacher. There's two of us and we alternate yeah. weeks for planning and, um, the center I work for has a prepackaged curriculum that comes out. So we get, I had like half an hour a week to do planning for a curriculum. Yeah. And um, so I was just taking exactly what the book said and putting it on my planning form. And maybe I did it. Maybe I didn't. Maybe yeah. I adjusted it in the moment, but I had my plan done. And um, she came in and she brought it to me and she's like, I know this is probably just an editing error, but did you mean to be doing the same thing every day? in this area and the same thing every day in this area. And so my first answer was, well, you know, toddlers benefit from repetition. And so partially, yeah. But the other piece is, um, you know, in a half an hour, I can't really put a whole lot of creativity into a curriculum plan. So she was like, oh, you feel like you need more time. And I was like, yeah, definitely. If you want more than what I've given you, (laughs) I need some more time. So that's a good example. I didn't think of that as a moment of advocacy, but I guess it really probably was. Truly is. I Um, think so. So that's maybe that's a good good takeaway from this episode is to when you're overwhelmed by the big picture, stop and think just about that day and what kinds of little steps did you take in a direction that you felt like was helpful or moving things forward or at least pushing yeah. back against something. Uh, yeah, that's probably what I need to start doing is keep a little pushback journal at the end of the day. What what ways did I assert <laughs> against yeah. the system today? Um. This is sort of turning into Heather's therapy session. I don't blame you. <laughs> I, I really don't. Um, so, no, I think that's a really, I'm glad you said that because that that maybe is a way to infuse some hope into that when that despair seeps in. We're yeah. using some pretty big, powerful, dramatic words. Hope and yeah, despair. You know. <laughs> but I don't and feel I, like it's unreasonable. I don't feel no, like it is. No, I, um, the place I worked at before my last one that I ended up leaving was just it was just unbelievable mm-hmm. I, I probably need to keep a heavy duty journal if I was still working there yeah. um, and also this that small work of if you're working with coworkers that there isn't a shared approach of knowing when to pick your battles, knowing when to model things, knowing when to push them a little bit and also something I've been learning more and more is the importance of having relationships with them. Even if we disagree about some things yeah. like, like the, the, 
the the stuff can change through osmosis, but there has to be a relation. Just like with kids, there has to be a relationship there. I agree with that. So yeah. in, in this job that I'm in now, when I first started, I was with um, one co-teacher. The regular co-teacher was on maternity leave. So I was with this other woman who was filling in, and we did not click at all. And yeah. in the first couple days, just me asking simple questions like, why can't she have her pacifier whenever she wants it? Or, yeah. um, you know, why are we making them sit and wait before we take them to the playground? Um, yeah. We're met with such resistance and really anger. That yeah. We weren't even speaking for weeks. We just yeah. kind of each did our thing. And, and I kept doing what I thought was modeling. And I'm sure she was thinking she was modeling for me the way it was supposed to be. And I'm it sure. was a mess. And I'm sure that was not the greatest thing for the kids. But, um, you know, I have a, the regular co-teachers back now, and we have a much gentler relationship. There's still things that I would do differently, um, but we can at least talk about why we're doing things the way we're doing things. That's the key. Yeah, or um, sometimes this is really terrible. And if you had told me that I was going to be doing this six months ago, I would have laughed at you. But I do things where I'm, like, talking to the kids, but I'm really talking to the other teacher, like – we're not going to start cleaning up yet because you guys would have to wait too long. So let's play for five more minutes. <laughs> but really, I'm like trying to teach this person something. And I'm sure she's like, Heather, the, the kids, you're an idiot. Stop it. <laughs> Sneaking in a little of my philosophy, I guess, by talking out yeah. loud to the kids. But you're right. That relationship becomes really important. Uh, sometimes it's not possible, but right. sometimes it is. Yeah, I just, with that first person, there was no going back once that first week had been so stressful. I even yeah. went one day because I thought she was moving out in a week because um, I had talked to, like, the director and they were going to do some switching. So I went to her one day and I was like, I'm really sorry if it seems like I'm challenging you. I didn't mean to, you know, step on your toes. I wasn't sure what the roles would be. And then she ended up staying for another month and I was like, oh, I can't believe I humbled myself <laughs> and she's still here. <laughs> Dang it, too early. But, you know, that's that's what you've got to do sometimes is is keep the, the relationship as calm, at least, as possible. Even if it's not for, even if you're not changing that other person, it's best for the kids. They can pick up on that tension and that yeah. it really affects the whole room, I think, when the relationship's not there. And again, I'm going to bring it back to the money. Like, if, yeah. set, if, if center directors can't be picky and hire to where like, so the setting has some like no educators don't need to be in lockstep, but there should be a somewhat shared approach uh-huh. and a, an opportunity to reflect and, and, and have differences, but work with them and be a good team. And if, if the money's not there, center directors can't be picky That's right. and then the kids suffer. Or if the and, applicants aren't there, I mean, yeah, Exactly. I well, then why, why would the applicants be, be there if the money's not there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I got hired at this place, they interviewed me. So I sent my resume. They interviewed me the next day. The interview was like 15 minutes. They yes. put me in a classroom with kids for 10 minutes. When yes. I came back out, they offered me the job and wanted me to start right away. And I mean, I realize I have some qualifications that most people don't and 30 years of experience or whatever. And they probably just were like, we got to get her in. Yeah. Um, but I... I, I think sometimes you just got to fill the ratios. And, That's what happened with me. And, uh, well, you're you're a special case, as people used to say to me. <laughs> you're one of those special cases. So let me let me ask you about one more thing. 
Sure. So I think we're we're getting about to wrap up time. But so what do you what's your reaction to the idea that the right person will do the job even if the money's not great or the right person will stay in the job even if the pay is low? I think it's stupid. Yeah. I I I I, I, I have found myself thinking that. But the reality is I couldn't do it myself if I'd been single that whole time working for that low income. Yeah. My heart was in the right place, but I couldn't have afforded to do it. But I hear that a lot like that. You know? I, I think it goes back again to the idea of women's work and mm. your inbred, your inherent nature. Sorry, inherent <laughs> nature. Women's inbred nature. Yeah, <laughs> inherent, I mean, inborn. Yeah. Um, we all know in what you nature mean. To sacred mothers right. taking care of all like all that stuff and it's like we're all and, characters in a dickens novel just yeah save the world and <laughs> yeah and and it really yeah i think it's stupid like of course there's countless people who stay in it because of the passion and everything else and then the the really quality people if they're lucky they go on to open up a setting or become a trainer yeah. or become or get another position and then the circle starts over with the practitioners again. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think, I think it's, I, I get the sentiment, but I think it's stupid. Yeah. Like, it's not... So that's one of those spots where that idealistic way of thinking maybe can be rejected. Yeah, entirely. <laughs> well, it's, it's superficial. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's more than anybody's moral views about any, any individual moral views. I think it's very individualistic. Uh-huh. Well, it's passing the buck. It's you know I don't yeah. to, I shouldn't have to change anything about this system because the right people will just fit my system. Yeah, so that's bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. It, it really is. Um, I I could probably just repeat that for like <laughs> variations of that for <laughs> for everything. For, yeah, <laughs> I really disagree with that idea. Yeah. Um. Well, good. I'm glad that you. Yeah. Do. <laughs> it would have yeah. been a weird part of the conversation if you'd been like, "Oh yeah, I agree with that. We should all just." Take what we get and be happy. <laughs> we have a sacred duty to, to to stay quiet and and accept it. Yeah, yeah. as they are. Oh my gosh! Okay. Any last thoughts? Any any last recommendations or words of wisdom you'd give to people? Uh, I don't know. I, and, and the way I thought I did this episode, I was a little worried just saying all this pie in the sky uh-huh. stuff. But I think we're all thinking it to different degrees, mm-hmm. and we should start putting it out there and see what happens. Yeah. And again, like if you have like a vision for something, just a little forward action will hopefully attract some more. You'll mm-hmm. find you have something in common with some more people. So I feel very good. I just blurted it all out on this episode. <laughs> it was Hope therapy it for both of us then. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Well, I, I do really think I want to go back to this book. I know after I sent you a couple screenshots, I think you said you read it. The mm-hmm. whole thing, and um, I, I need to go back to it because it had been obviously so long since I read it that I forgot where the quote really came from. Um, so I highly recommend it. Uh, for anyone who really felt a connection to this episode, I guess. Um, and we'll probably do some more <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Um, about this one. So, all right. Well, thank you guys for listening again and hope you'll come back for another episode of that early childhood nerd. Bye. Bye. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production.
Uh, hey, we need your support to keep the podcasts flowing. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash support to learn how. One of the big things you can do is shop Amazon with the link we provide. You buy your cat food, you buy your kids' books, you buy whatever it is you buy on Amazon, you pay the regular price. We get a small percentage of it. Everybody wins. A lot of people are doing it. It really supports the shows, and we really appreciate it. Give it a try. Thanks. Thanks.